in the Pattern Podcast. Make left traffic, clear for the option. Minneapolis departure, Archer 641, Charlie, Charlie, 2000, climbing 3000. Line up and wait, 7 range, for my Delta. Mark Tower, 172, Romeo Hotel, hold on 133, ready to take off. I'm John. I'm Chris. I'm Brad. And I'm Mark. And we are the In the Pattern Podcast. Welcome to episode 61 of the In the Pattern Podcast. This is Chris, and along with me tonight, I've got uh, Pilot Conway. How you doing, sir? Hello, doing good. Glad to be back. Awesome. It's been a few minutes. I know. We've also got Brad. What's up, man? Way too much. Awesome. Unfortunately, Mark is not able to be with us tonight, but we'll uh, make do. He's on the road as we speak, trying to get back home, I believe. So, Anyways, we will uh, continue on. It's been a little bit since we've uh, recorded uh, episode 60, and in the meantime... uh, uh, John's managed to uh, get to Sun and Fun and back and had some quick casts for us while we were down there and we were all jealous, but uh, we will uh, move forward and uh, talk about what's been going on lately. It's been a while, so we've each got a few things to talk about. Um, anything uh, anything uh, in particular going on your way there, John? Yeah, um, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a, a ton of baby prep. Uh <laughs> We've got four weeks to go as we record this, so uh, you know, plus or minus, whatever. But um, so yeah, it's kind of getting a crunch time there. But um, because of that, I am uh, desperately trying to get currency, and uh, you know, go figure. It's been I don't know raining every single day for the last like month and a half. Um, you need your IFR training. There you then. go. I, I know I do. Except um, said baby means that I can't afford the IFR training. So you know. <laughs> Too bad, because uh, it'd be a great time to uh, <laughs> to train for it. Yeah, your uh, life is about to change as you know it for both you and Lindsay. I know it's awesome. I'm I'm sure she is uh, excited as all get out to uh, finally deliver that child and get it out of her belly. Uh, she's this she is, is done. this she's is <laughs> this is done. that part of the time where it just starts getting really uncomfortable. <laughs> so, yep. yep. Well, I'm real excited for you guys. She's about 14 months old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Eating for two while you're drinking for three. Uh, yep. <laughs> I, uh, I still say I have, I have gained more than <laughs> Sadly. Uh, need, to, need to lose that and get some more useful load back. Um, <laughs> I've been working on that myself. Now, now check this out. So, um, Let's see, we, we go, you know, we go camping as a family quite a bit with our friends and stuff, and um, every year we go to um, this um, country music festival called Country Thunder, and we take the trailers down there, and we camp there from, like, um, Thursday to Sunday, and, or maybe it's Wednesday to Sunday, I can't remember, but uh, anyways, after we got back, I was like, all right, no alcohol until we go on our cruise, which is in, a, in about three more weeks. So um, I stopped drinking for, uh, you know, well, mostly since then. I've had a few since then. But actually, I stopped drinking for a solid week and lost 11 pounds. I didn't change anything other than I stopped drinking and I lost 11 pounds. But you stopped drinking water. 
I, I could, I, I'm like, geez, what does that mean? My daughter was like, I think that means you have a problem. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, I've had one or two since then, and I'm drinking one now because it's customary on the podcast. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of weird how those uh, empty calories really add up. On that yeah. note, cheers. Yeah. I'm having a uh, Leinenkugel's Big Butt Doppelbach. I'm not even going to say what I'm drinking right now. <laughs> Does it have the word light at the end? Yeah. I can neither confirm nor deny. It's from Wisconsin. <laughs> True, it is. <laughs> for the record, for the record, my keg is tapped <laughs> recently, and I had some extra, so I was like, this is what I had. Uh, I need to replace the keg before the baby comes. Oh. But anyway. How's work going? Um, you know, work is work. Yeah. Is work. Um, so it's paying the bills and letting me uh, hopefully fly and keep flying. Awesome. Um, so we have the first break in the weather in like a month and a half today and tomorrow. Um, so it's like 80 degrees. There was sun. I, I forgot what the sun looked like. Both of those sound great. 80 degrees um, and sun. That's a good start. It, it, yeah. It has been so long since we have seen sun here. It's just been cloudy, gray, rainy, awful forever. So uh, saw the weather forecast and saw that tomorrow it's basically it's forecast to be clear in a million, six mile per hour winds, like absolutely nothing. Um, So I'm going to go do some pattern work. Excellent. Uh, Get some solo time in just just keep the currency going get me get me going for the next uh month or so and so i can get back up and uh yeah i'm looking forward to it uh gonna be trying out the stratix for the first time because i haven't actually gotten a chance to use oh, that that'll yet. be fun especially and, in the pattern uh, is that uh, airport fairly busy yeah it's fairly busy we're inside the um the mode c veil for bwi so um That'll be fun. And um, there is a TFR to the south for the Blue Angels are flying tomorrow for the Naval Academy graduation. They always do um, uh, flybys on the Naval Academy. So, awesome. Maybe I'll pick Maybe I'll pick those up. <laughs> yeah, you, you probably will. Well, how far away is it? <laughs> uh, 15 oh, miles, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it, it ought to be just that ought to be cool enough. to see a formation on that. That'll be different. Yeah, it's 20, 20 nautical miles from the uh, airport. Yeah, now, the center of the TFR. So, yeah, we'll see. That'll be that cool. Be. You, uh, you but, grabbing uh, uh, the Cessna? Or are you doing the Diamond? I'm not current oh, okay. the Diamond, um, and they're down to one. So uh, at least last I checked, they were down to one. So I've actually haven't flown that since the two times I flew it. Um. Which kind of sucks because I really like that airplane, but uh, it's just much easier to keep currency in the 172, especially now that I'm checked out in the G1000 because I have five available. Yeah. So yeah, it's nice. I, I mean, I looked and Wednesday was fairly busy, but because it's the first day of good weather. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was still able to get a two hour block of time on one of the 172s. So let me let me ask you something. I'm sure yeah. this pertains to you and it doesn't it doesn't. Uh, uh, Brad, because he's in a club and has access to the hangar twenty four seven. But as far as you, it goes for you to to uh, to grab an airplane, what's that like? So um, you know, another reason I like this flight school, it's really easy. You just you know, you put yourself in the schedule whenever you want. We all have access to the mm-hmm. schedule, so if it's available, you put yourself in. You show up uh, if the office is open. You walk in. You say, "I'm here for this." They say, "Here's the book. Have fun." Um, 
and when you come back you just hand them the book they charge you and you're mm-hmm. good to go um if you're uh if you come after hours um there's a little safe so we have the safe okay. code and you just open the safe grab the book for the plane you want when you come back you fill out a little sheet that says here's all my times and stuff which you already have to enter in the book anyway but here's my times charge the card and yeah awesome so um it's so you, super easy. So you have access. Not a so you do have access to it twenty four seven. You know. Uh, yeah, awesome. pretty much. Yeah, that's the way it is for me too. I've got the um, code to get into the airport through the through the outside gate, and then of course uh, they have a lock on the uh, hangar itself, and we have the code to the lock, code to that to get the key out, and there you go. And the keys are the keys and books are inside the plane, so. Easy peasy, you know. I, I've got I've got a friend who you know I've got a couple friends that rent from some other places here that you know the earliest they can get a plane is eight a.m. You know, and that kind of sucks because yeah, that that's yeah because here in, especially when it's summertime like now at eight a.m. it could already be a hundred degrees. You know, on days like that, I want to get out at five a.m. right at sunup, you know, <laughs> and be back yeah. by eight a.m. So. Yeah, and it, it was that way at the you know the one on um, at Tipton because basically I had to get a sign off from the instructor. So unless I got that, you know, I wasn't getting anything. Yeah. So um, that's why you know it, I I don't pay the cheapest I could in the area. Um, they're still a flight school; they still have their problems. But all in all, they just the, all the barriers to renting are for the most part gone. And it's a little further away than some of the airports around here too, but it's just so much easier and I end up flying mm-hmm. more. Um, so I, I really overall can't complain too That's much. Um, and the fact is, I think I scheduled the plane like two days ago. Grabbed it for, for two hours on Wednesday, no problem. I could have grabbed it longer. Yeah. but Yeah. I got to work too, so. That's cool. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back in the air, getting some, getting some time in. Uh, Testing out the Stratix, testing out the, uh, I got a new uh, iPad Pro 9.7 inch with a pencil. So, um, <laughs> You're going to take that in the plane with you? I'm, it's like taking yeah, a laptop. Yeah, you know, I, I <laughs> well, not the not the 12 oh. inch one. I have the, the regular iPad Oh, size. okay. I didn't know they made the Pro in just the 10 inch. Yeah, just okay. came out um, April, May, March, sometime around there. But uh, yeah, so I picked this up and um really looking forward to trying out for flight because the notes section in there I've never used because it's always like kind of worthless with mm-hmm. your finger. So I always carry, you know, I always have a kneeboard that I write stuff down on, which can be a pain because usually I have a pen or uh, usually I have a pen and then I end up writing on myself all the time because I have to keep it open because if I'm flying somewhere on like flight following, who knows when I'm going to get a new, you know, <laughs> frequency or something and I want to write it down. So yeah. I don't forget it. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see how this works because they, um, I, I tried the pen before I ended up buying it in four flight. And um, I mean, it was just, it, it wrote like a pad and paper, which was kind of nice. So I'm really interested to see like, Hey, grabbing the ATIS is what is it going to be like? Cause they have little um, templates too, that I found for like an ATIS that has like all the blocks for the stuff that you, you need to know. Um, you know, the code wind, all that it's all separated out, has stuff written down. So all you have to do is just write the numbers down and then you have your full, um, you know, current ATIS. Um, they have the same thing for IFR. They have like one with like craft written down the side and all that kind of stuff. So uh, interested to check that out. Just kind of um, play with a few things, do some pattern work, brush up on stuff and be happy that I got in the air. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And other than that, I have done nothing really aviation related. <laughs> well, that's a shame. And hopefully you won't make a habit of that. Yeah. That's that's the plan. I, I've talked to the wife, so I, I'm hoping to be able to. I want to keep my currency. That's my mm-hmm. big thing. I want to keep my currency. So I actually have a plan to go up at the end of July, uh, end of June, early July. Um, sister-in-law and um, brother-in-law are coming out here with uh, my niece and nephew that I took up in the airplane back in July, uh, not July, uh, January. And uh, since they're coming out uh, and my brother-in-law is back, I, I asked if uh, they wanted to go up. So it sounds like they'd be interested. So if we get some time and the kid's already born, then uh, I'll probably take them up for a little quick flight and um, get the kids back in the plane, get my brother-in-law up. So that'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be fun. It's always, it's always more fun uh, flying with somebody than by yourself, in my opinion. Yeah, I almost really tried to find somebody for tomorrow, but it was just, it was too quick, and I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know what, I really kind of want to just get some some pattern work with myself. So, um, I think it'll be good. I feel awkward actually in the plane by myself. Um, I went up uh, um, late April to get night current. And, you know, because I have to at that point, I'm not allowed to take anyone with me. And um, I just, I felt weird. <laughs> so, it's just weird. Because I've all, I almost, I don't know, in the six years I've been flying, I could probably count on one hand after I got my ticket how many times I've flown by myself easily. So, uh, Brad, you're a loner, aren't you, most of the time? Uh, it kind of depends. Uh, the last couple of months, I have generally had somebody with me, but I do pretty regularly get up uh, just solo. And Take Aiden with you from time to time? Take Aiden mm-hmm. sometimes, yep. He wanted to go fly uh, a little bit ago, and uh, I needed some takeoffs and landings to extend my night currency, and so uh, we had some fun with that. And Actually, he did most of the flying. Excellent. It was great. He's getting into it big time, yeah, isn't he? I did the takeoffs and landings, and then he kind of flew around and looked at stuff. And, you know, we saw a farmer was burning his field <laughs> to get ready for crops. And so he flew over there and was, we're checking that out. And just, yeah, it was a good He's time. He's probably about tall enough now to uh, almost, you know, see over the glare shield that, that you, might, you put, might put a little booster in there for him. I don't know. Yeah, he, he is just about at the right height. Um, I, if I put a couple little. We've got uh, some seat cushions, basically, yeah. like for uh, for a kitchen chair. Throw a couple of those on, and he is. Uh, it gives him plenty of go. Uh, but uh, um, I saw you saying that uh, you're down a plane now. You ended up getting that uh, that six sold off, huh? Yeah, we've sold our Cherokee six, um, which is unfortunate for me. Although I I was just looking at the webcam, and it looks like it's still in mm-hmm. the hangar but I imagine it won't be for much longer. Um, we sold our Cherokee 6, got a pretty good price for it, uh, and so the board quickly moved to divest themselves of it, and we are in the hunt for a Piper Saratoga, uh, normally aspirated like a Saratoga 2 uh-huh. or something, the 300 horse. Cool. That'd be... And that'll give us basically the same fuel burn as the 6, only... 20 something more knots yeah. is that a three that's a 300 horse yeah it's a 300 horse engine and um we'll probably um get one with club seating cool. so all the the four seats in the back face yeah. each other which 
gives you a lot of leg room if there's just two people, and uh, at least you can interleave your legs if there's four. At least you can what? You can can interleave your legs. Oh you yeah. Kind of right. You know, you can still stretch out. You'll just kind of be in each other's personal space mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think that's the way my buddy, uh, my buddy's uh, Seneca Two is 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 set up like that. Yeah, I think that's pretty common for a Seneca Two and for the Saratogas of the 1980s vintage. They switched to club seating, and it's it's really nice. the The middle row of seats in the six had very very little leg room to them. Awesome, especially if you had a tall yeah. pilot. Yeah, as if you already didn't have have enough plane with uh, load with with uh, ability to haul everything that you need there you go you got a little bit more horsepower to do it now <laughs> yeah it it will be nice having uh just a little bit of extra power and it's you know 155 to 160 knots depending on the aircraft uh so that'll be nice it'll be as fast or maybe even a little bit faster than the mooney oh yeah so we can uh we can get places in a hurry um and it's quieter Speak, what, uh, speaking of that, uh, what plane are we going to be taking to Osh? Uh, we have one the of the archers. archers. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so... I think if we took the Mooney instead of an archer, we'd save like four minutes. <laughs> uh, we, we might be a little, a little tight in that too, actually. I think... Well, eh, it should have about, about the same amount of space, I guess, as the archer. It's, the archer's yeah. wider. And it's it's bigger all the mm -hmm. way around. Uh, the back seat's bigger, the front seats are further apart, uh, and the luggage compartment is bigger. Uh, the the Mooney's great and everything, but it, it's yeah, cozy. Yeah, for sure. You know, that's one of the ways they get their speed is just by making that cabin so yeah, narrow. Shoulder to shoulder. I remember that last year all the way to Osh with uh, Franz. <laughs> Yeah, and the Saratoga, just like the six, it has an extra eight inches of width over an archer. Yeah, um, I remember uh, we I flew with uh, Bill Rote um, when we were in California for Thanksgiving last year. He he came six. up and picked us up yeah. in his, and yeah, that's luxurious feeling with all the extra room in that thing. <laughs> yeah, that minivan. Is, it is a minivan, and it glides almost yeah. as well. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, um, Brad and I will be uh, making our way to Osh this year together. I've decided to grab a um, human mailing tube up to MSP, and then uh, he's going to come pick me up at the airport, and we'll go over to uh, his airport at Crystal and pick up the uh, Archer and take off for Osh that way. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like uh, Mr. Conway or uh, Mark is going to get a chance to get up there this year. Yeah, good luck getting mm -hmm. me there. As I said to some other people, y'all can talk to my wife. <laughs> I ain't talking to no married woman who's pregnant. <laughs> I know better than that. She won't be pregnant soon. <laughs> yeah, with a newborn, she'll be much yeah, more... Yeah, <laughs> she's much more reasonable <laughs> after she gets to care for it outside of her belly all day long. Yeah, after pushing mm -hmm. it out and then caring for it. Yeah, great. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> Uh, um, so you uh, you know the sex? Have you picked out a name? No, Piper. we do Piper. not. Uh, <laughs> no, um, we have a list of names. Uh, we're not gonna um, 
we're not even going to pick until we go and see him in the hospital. So once he's born, we'll figure it out from there. We have a short list. Oh, he looks like a... There you go. Yeah. There's a, there's a little argument there. Not too much, but uh, for the most part, we're, we're mm-hmm. on the same page. Uh, well... And, and I've already had the conversation. Um, when he's about three, three and a half, I can take him on his airplane. There you airplane. go. That'll be cool. It should be Piper or Duke. Duke. <laughs> what are the, what he's are not other, a pig. What are some other good aviation names? Uh, Archer. <laughs> yeah. Archer? No, actually, so yeah. I'm not going to lie. That was legitimately... <laughs> Kind of high on my list. Have you seen the animated series? (laughs) Uh, Yes, that's another reason why. Well, she said, no, we can't do Archer. So I said, how about Sterling? (laughs) Stinson. Stinson. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I tried. I tried with the dog, too, but I haven't gotten anywhere yet. No, no aviation names for me. Well, um... I wanted to see something. When uh, when was I was trying to figure out my log in my log pat, log book? When was the last time we podcasted? When was episode sixty? It should totally be Merlin. Merlin? It was not long before oh, Son okay. and Fun, I believe, because I made a comment about getting it out beforehand, and I got it. Yeah, out you got it out so. April sixth. So, man, since then I've had three whole flights. That's pretty cool. Mm. I hate you all. I actually. I think since then I have <laughs> logged more than fifteen hours. I hate you too. I've only got out of that out of those three flights. I've got uh, uh, three point two. One of the flights was only point six. That was that was just getting night current with my three stopping goes. Like night currency. But um, I got it. I got a chance to uh, actually uh, wrangle my uh, wife and one of my daughters into the plane. Um, the um, the rule of us all flying or being able to take just one of my daughters is now um, off because my oldest daughter is now married and my youngest daughter is 19. So, you know, we can throw that rule out of the book. So I'm allowed to take just my wife um, if she so desires to go. But but uh, back uh, mid-April, um, I, I took my wife and my oldest daughter up to uh, Payson for a, a quick breakfast flight. And uh, that was a lot of fun. It was the first time. It was the first time for my wife and being in a high wing plane because previous to that she's only been in the Archer, um, uh, the two other times. So this is the third time in six years that she's gotten a plane with me. So we're making progress. Well, in a plane where you were in a, the pilot. Yes. Yeah. We'll qualify with me being at the controls. That's correct. So, yeah. She and uh, she had a good time. Um, and, uh, yeah, there was no screaming, no yelling, no, no grabbing onto, uh, the dash with her nails or anything like that. It went really well. Actually, it was a little bit bumpy. As a matter of fact, I was feeling sick, uh, about the time I, we were coming down for landing and she was like, really? That was bumpy? I'm like, oh, I hate you. <laughs> well, you could have had her yeah. land the plane. You could have just said, honey, I, I didn't let her know I was feeling sick until after I'd already landed the plane and taxied and got out. Wasn't going to Will she take the controls no. at all? Uh-uh. I gave, I, I gave her the Not- controls. I said, here, I need, really need you to look at the controls because I was just trying to look up uh, the frequencies for uh, Payson on the way up there. 
and she wouldn't hold it for like 30 seconds. Like I couldn't get her to hold it for any longer than 30 seconds. Here, you got to take it back. You you at least got her to touch it. <laughs> My wife will not even put a finger she, on it. She's convinced it's just going to flip over upside down as soon as she touches it, right? But she would rather you be busy and do a right. nosedive yeah. <laughs> than touch it. Actually, that would probably be a way to yeah. get her to grab it. It's to just, you know, okay, honey, I'll, I'll do it. And then just as soon as you look down, just lean into the <laughs> I, I, I can see that going one of two ways. <laughs> yeah. Float the cabin and a little bit. And that's the last time she flies with I'm you. not sure any of those is her <laughs> touching the yoke. As she's slapping you from inside the plane. Take the plane, take the plane. Yeah. No, but that was uh, that was fun. Um, I like doing those, and Payson's a Payson's a fun place to uh, go into. They got a, a great uh, airport restaurant. It's right on, right on uh, the rim um, area of uh, of of that part of Arizona. Um, so there's like a kind of a a drop off into a canyon, like you can see right from the edge of the runway or parallel with the runway. So you're looking at it from the uh, airport restaurant, uh, you're looking out at the runway and you can see it just kind of dive off. It's really cool. That's also where they stage uh, some aircraft uh, for uh, wildfire season. Um, and they had uh, one of the Ericsson air cranes up there uh, that was being prepped for uh, the firework. So that was kind of cool to see. Is there anything around there that can... Uh, it's forests all around. Just okay. mountainous and forests. Just thought it was like no, not up that high, not at that altitude. Oh. That cactus kind of stop at about uh, four thousand feet or so, maybe five thousand at the highest. Um, and from there, it's just mainly um, um, what do you call them? Uh, I was trying to think of the kind of trees they are, um, like Christmas trees, you know. It's yeah, a pine tree, exactly. Evergreen. Various kinds of pine trees and so forth for the most part and they get going I tell you yeah, once they get going and and uh, you know as you as you learned uh, some some things about weather you know once fire gets going it creates its own weather system around it so it's they're they're quite uh, quite dangerous especially if the wind picks up Whew. and those guys with those tankers up and around here just are non-stop I think that'd be a fun job dangerous but fun yeah, that's okay. Pass on that. Flying something like a a DC-10 or something like that with that's a a belly bomber. That'd be cool. It would be <laughs> interesting. So, um, and then uh, late April, like I said, I went and got my three touch uh, three stop and goes to get my night currency. I put up a YouTube video of that, uh, just kind of explaining the process each time I did my my three stop and goes. So that was kind of fun, to kind of talked through each one of those things it's um and then i did that so like you know because it's starting to get warming up here it's you know it's approaching 100 almost every day so it's either you know um before dawn taking off in the morning and being back by like eight or nine o'clock or waiting till after the sun goes down to start going up so um so i got those uh that night that night currency set and uh, then I got to take a friend of mine who I met uh, via Facebook um, locally here he's a uh, he's a sport pilot um, 
he's got his sport pilot ticket just recently. And so I said, well, let's go night flying because you're not going to get a chance to do that too often. So uh, he met me out at the airport um, uh, a couple nights ago. I think it was Sunday night, yeah. And uh, I, the school has, um, has two 172s, and I normally fly the same one every time. But I noticed that it has this turning tendency, like like the rudder. There, there's a there's a little fin that comes off of the rudder that you use to adjust um, opposite rudder to where you know it's your trim adjustment. But it's manual. You have to bend the piece of metal. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think everyone's yeah, probably. Um, but uh, no one ever seems to adjust it, and I always got to put a little bit of rudder in to keep it going straight. And so I was tired of that, so I decided to grab. Grab the other 172 they have, <clears throat> and so we we get it get it all set up. Got the cameras in it. Got it, everything uh, put in it. We're ready to go. Get it out on the line there and start it up. And I can't get the lights for the uh, panel to come on anywhere. I'm, I'm I'm twisting the knob. It's not coming on. I'm like, well, maybe there's another switch. I don't know. I couldn't find it, so I was like, forget it. We'll just take the other one. So shut it. Did you check the suction? The gauge? suction gauge. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, no, I don't know if I did or not. Was it there? No. Um, so <laughs> I, um, we put the plane away and as we're grabbing the other one, the owner, the owner shows up and he's like, yeah, I saw you. I, I saw the plane out and I knew you were going to take it at night. So I thought I'd stop. And he goes, I guess you figured out that the lights are burned out <laughs> or something's wrong electrically with, with that portion of it anyways. I was like, yeah. So I said, I'll take the other one. I know it works because I got my night currency in it a few weeks ago. So he said, yeah. So we grabbed it, and, and lo and behold, it wasn't turning one way or the other. So maybe they did get that uh, rudder trim adjusted a little bit. So that was fun. We um, we did, uh, uh, as I refer to it as the, uh, the valley tour, um, we took off from uh, Glendale and uh, did a Bravo transition and headed south and did a touch-and-go at Chandler, Williams Gateway, Falcon Field, Scottsdale, Deer Valley, and back to Glendale. So we did uh, six landings in uh, 1.5 hours. And uh, I should send you over uh, a picture of what that looks like because basically uh, Chandler and Williams Gateway's um, um, airspaces touch and then Williams Gateway to Falcon Field has about I don't know 500 yards between them <laughs> so it's kind of fun uh, you know you're hustling on the radio to get that next ATIS and uh, get you know get that clearance and everything to come in and make sure that the tower that you're on with now knows where you're going to next so they release you early enough to call them before you bust the del Delta and so forth so uh, that sport pilot was eyes were kind of glazing over and was just kind of freaking out with how fast things were happening. He goes, I didn't think that was even possible. I'm like, well, it's totally possible, but you just got to be <laughs> way ahead of it when it comes to the radios and so forth. So it's a lot of fun. Um, I remember when I was going through my, uh, my training and we did the, the night portion of it and we, you had to have, what was it? Three hours and 10 landings. Is that right? Uh, sounds about right because I think it was three hours for night and three hours okay. for instrument. Um, so uh, that night I did pretty much this exact same thing. Um, she said, "How do you want to do your night?" I said, "Well, let's do this." Boom, 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 boom. So I figured, you know, one flight and I've got knocked out the majority of the landings. But I remember coming back that night, landing at Deer Valley, and my head 
felt like it was going to blow up. I had the I had the biggest headache I've ever had in my life. I was just so stressed out from doing that, being you know your first time. Um, and then some of the airports um, were uncontrolled at that time, and although they had a tower, it was closed. You know, so it was kind of awkward. I didn't know what I was doing on the radio, trying to contact tower, and there was no tower to talk to. <laughs> so. But that's what it, that's what you that's what you train for, so you know how to do it the right way. It was a good time. Yep. Uh, One day I'll get night current again. Probably more towards the winter, yeah. I think. Um, since for us here, it, it's, it's the more, exact opposite. Um, it's fine no, in the yeah. summer, but in the winter, it's the the days are so short. It's the only time we can fly. Yeah, it's night all the time. At that's, night, it, yeah. That's it's just like us for right now. We, my wife and I, we consider this our winter. This is when you stay inside most of the time, um, and uh, you know, the weather is exactly opposite. But we treat it like it's a winter for most people, so we don't go out much. It's true. I was out there in January, and oh. it was what you know, yeah. seventy degrees and yeah. fantastic. It was nice. Yeah. So, speaking of that, that just reminded me. So. My my buddy John, who's who's the one I took up last uh, the other night, uh, the sport pilot. So he's a he, the reason why he went sport pilot is because um, number one he he's he stutters he has a stutter and um, he'd have to get a special issuance medically to get past that because that's actually in the regs um, about your speech. So, but what was sure. funny is that when we're in the plane and he's talking to me. It was like I, I almost didn't notice it at all. Um, it was only when we were on the ground just chit-chatting that he seemed to stutter more than anything. So I think when he's in the plane and he's talking to controllers, he feels very calm about it and he doesn't stutter. Uh, but then other than that, he's had some you know heart issues and so forth. So that's one of the reasons why he decided to go sport pilot. So um, so I'm proud of him. He got his he got his ticket and he can go fly. He flies almost every day. I'm so jealous. He goes and grabs. This uh, Remos um, over at Scottsdale or Glendale, each one of them have one, and he flies it oh at least three or four days a week. How about that? Yeah, that'd be nice. But he's got a he's day VFR. That's right, day VFR, ten thousand feet or below, one passenger, right? I forgot about the ten. Yeah, that's another. That's another one. Uh, Or it's it's not ten thousand MSL, it's AGL. Oh, yeah, well, that's sure. Easier. Um, and so, like, one of the things he's like, oh, yeah, he goes, hey, man, I really want to go to Sedona. I saw your pictures, your videos. I want to do that. I said, sure, let's go. I'll go, I'll go with the, we'll, we'll get in the Remos and we'll go together. He goes, oh, I was told that plane wouldn't get there. I'm like, excuse me? Huh? He goes, yeah, they, they said it just won't get there. I'm like, that, that plane's got a 100-horse Rotax in it. It's meant to fly cross countries. People do it all the time. It can that engine will be fine up to fourteen thousand feet, just like any other carbureted engine. It's if it's a well, depending on which Rotax it is, it's probably it probably is. Yeah. If it's the nine i nine i is yeah the or is or whatever nine twelve is is has the variable valve timing. I think. So, anyways, I said I I don't know who's filling you with this stuff and 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 making you nervous about flying, but I I wish you would kind of stop talking to them. Because um, it's not good for your your you know your psyche. You know, uh, people fly those planes all across the country at all elevations, pretty much. 
um, we're going to make it to Sedona. It's not a big deal. And so we plan on doing that here pretty soon. But, uh, but yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be my first time in a, in, in a true, um, one of the newer light sports anyways, you know, I've been in stuff that's considered a light sport category, but, uh, you know, what were you going to say, Brad? I, yeah, I was just going to say, check the, the POH or ask the instructors why they think it can't go to yeah. Sedona. I mean, because, uh, um, you know, who knows, maybe there's something in the POH that has a maximum density altitude yeah. or something. Good point. I'll check. I mean, I don't know what it could be. I mean, all we got to get to is about 7,500 feet and we're good, good to go. Um, he's a big guy, though. He, he's a big guy, so I don't know if it's a weight, you know, between the horsepower of that engine and, and his and my weight combined. Maybe not. I don't know. But I'll definitely check it out before we just get in the plane and start heading that way. Because, <laughs> you know, taking off out of Sedona yeah, could go yeah. wrong. It's all downhill all the way yeah, to... that big drop all the off way. at the end. <laughs> all the way to Phoenix. It's all downhill. You just got to clear one ridge, I guess. So... Ah, uh, that's enough about me, Brad. What have you been doing? You've been flying the crap out of the planes. Uh, yeah, literally. <laughs> um, like I said, uh, did get a little bit of night currency flying in. Uh, just to I I had just a few days left and wanted to extend my night currency, and it's uh, hard to get it in uh, June and July just because the sunsets are so late. Um, night flying doesn't really start until. 10.30 um, at the earliest uh, that time of year. So um, did some night flying, uh, which, like I said, was a lot of fun. Aiden did most of the work, and I just got to sit back and um, help out with trim. Um, I was getting ready for a big flight to uh, Colorado, to the Denver area, and so I wanted to get a few more approaches in to extend my IFR currency and I wanted to practice flying approaches into um, Bravo Juliet Charlie, which is Metropolitan Airport in uh, the Denver area. And so um, we have a sim at the club. It's not actually owned by the club, but it's but it's at our flying club, and we uh, get to uh, get to use it. And it's got uh, fully certified. Um, X-Plane 9 and a whole bunch of monitors and touch screens and uh, different controls and um, yokes and multi and all kinds of different options on it. But it was set up for an arrow, uh, which was close enough uh, to what I was going to be flying. And so we flew practice approaches uh, into Bravo Julia Charlie. And that was really nice. Uh, just because it it let me feel like I was familiar with it, like I knew what approaches at altitude would feel like. Um, The airport is 5,300 feet uh, MSL, which is by far the highest airport I've ever flown into. Uh, And, you know, the mist approach has you flying up to a hold at 10,200 feet. Um, and so wow. I just wanted to get used to the whole, the hold yeah. takes you up to that high. Yes. And you have to enter, you can't enter the hold until you're, I want to say over 9,000 feet. And, and the airport's below you at 5,000? 5,500. Wow. Yeah. It's right next to oh, the mountains. Oh, okay. I can understand that, I guess. Yeah. And you can only approach it from the Southeast because, 
the mountains are to the north or to the west and so there's there's no other good way in you can do circling approaches uh, if you need to but otherwise you've got big rocks off to the just a few miles off to the west so um, I was feeling good I, I had been stressing about the weather because they had had really abysmal weather the week leading up to the trip it had been snowing almost all the time there and it was icing conditions and like the day before I needed to fly out everything just opened up and huge high pressure systems came in and it was just beautiful um, so it was it was really great um, had a great flight out stopped in Ainsworth Nebraska which is notable because it has a tree um, <laughs> is, is and, it a cool tree <laughs> well it's it's a tree it sticks and, up and they're happy the to have it they are happy to have it. it. It there's a little FBO, not an FBO. Well, there is an FBO, but there's a little terminal building, which is probably five six hundred square feet, and uh, the city manager was there, or the airport manager was there, and he was just getting ready to go to lunch. And he's like, "Yeah, you're welcome to hang out and watch TV, and you know, you know, just stay a while if you want to." And we're like, "Yeah, no." <laughs> so. Quick did a pit stop, got back in the plane, and continued on our way. Uh, As he's chasing towards, you uh, out to your plane, please don't go. Come talk to me. Please don't leave me. <laughs> don't leave me here. The first um, person I've seen in three months. On our on our way out, I had uh, uh, I had come to on monitoring guard, and um, heard it was really kind of spooky. We heard somebody calling out on guard. Uh, in in obvious distress, um, but wasn't able to, you know, no end number, no emergency declaration, just a panicked voice calling out on 121.5. And oh. we heard, um, ATC called back and was trying to raise them, uh, but couldn't get a response. And uh, we checked the NTSB database uh, the next day, and there were no reports of any crashes and it didn't didn't see anything in the news that anybody was missing but it was a really kind of a freaky yeah. thing uh to hear uh just kind of out in the middle of nowhere i mean there's barely roads in this part of the state there's no buildings mm -hmm. no nothing uh if you landed out there you were going to be there for a long oh. time until somebody flew a helicopter out to pick you up that that reminds me when i when i took off out of uh out of um payson with my wife um, I, I started off by saying, you know, basic pace and traffic, Skyhawk, under seven eight one one, you know, departing runway, blah blah blah. I was transmitting on guard. I I Oops. didn't change the frequency to one twenty one five myself. I don't know how it did it, but all of a sudden that's what I was transmitting on. So I was like, oops. Was were you on a four thirty? Yeah. So if you hold the com, if you hold the flip mm -hmm. switch in. It switches to guard. That must have been what happened. I, I was like, huh. I didn't That's know. That's a yeah. feature. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. So if you need to get to guard in a hurry, just hold the flip the, the I must, flip yeah, switch. Yeah, I held it in the, too long, huh, when I flipped it. Yeah, and it'll just go to guard, and then you'll be transmitting on guard. That's a nice feature. Good to know. Yeah, it is a handy feature, but it's as actually, it was actually a, a, discovered. It, it was actually a 530, trouble. but same thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Yep. Good to know. Um, 
the rest of the trip was was really uneventful. The ground quickly came up underneath us uh, and flew a sixty some hundred foot pattern, six I guess sixty three hundred foot pattern to get into um, Metro. It it was ridiculously busy until we got there, and then all of the traffic just left. Like I was watching the traffic on four flight because I had my Stratus going, and there's planes everywhere. And then we got in, we were the last person or the last plane in line and every plane just departed. Um, it was, it was kind of nice, but then I got my first taste of sort of landing at altitude, uh, because the ground speed was just ridiculous compared to what I'm used to, you know, I'm used to <laughs> 70 knots and yeah. no big deal. But all of a sudden when you're at 5,300 feet and it was a kind of a warm day, um, you know the thousand foot markers are just flying by <laughs> as you're as you're floating down the runway and then slowing down and then you know get off it, it was their eight thousand foot runway so it was yeah. no big deal but still it was like whoa that huh. that was a lot i must just take that for granted <sighs> yeah i'm used to you know f- uh, here at crystal in the mooney i can do usually a 600 foot mm-hmm. landing and not so much uh, yeah. up there. Huh. Um, but uh, had a good time there, and uh, the day we were going to head back, I uh, went and took a mountain flying class. And I went online, and f- um, I actually asked around a little bit for some recommendations and found the Colorado Pilots Association Mountain Flying Instructors oh, webpage. Cool which I can put into the show notes. Um, but I found an instructor, uh, Jer, actually Jer slash Eberhard, um, or he spells it Jer slash. I don't think he really pronounces it. Um, anyway, he's a, a mountain flying instructor out there. And so we spent four plus hours together uh, between some ground school time and a bunch of flying um, going up among the rocks and it, that was just an amazing experience. Um, we, uh, his, his first, his kind of opening advice was when you're up there, look for rivers because rivers only go yeah. downhill towards civilization <laughs> and good terrain. Like just follow that That's and you'll be point. okay. Um, so if you ever get stuck, you know, the worst place a river is going to lead you mm-hmm. to is a lake. Um, but it's it's always going to lead you down. Uh, and then uh, we did some flight planning on the ground and checked all of all of the stuff that was going on. Um, activated our VFR flight plan on the ground through ForeFlight, and that was convenient. I had never done that before. But that will probably get me using VFR flight plans more. I yeah, generally I don't. But um, but given the convenience, he does because he's yeah. flying in the mountains. And he wants somebody to know where where to look for him. But yeah, uh, and then it was really my first serious foray into Class G mountainous airspace. So all of our cloud uh, clearance restrictions vanished. You know, you just have to be clear of clouds, and um, the the how far you can be from terrain clearances go away. And so we were flying within. 100 feet, 50 feet of the ground, um, 
you know, with maybe maybe a hundred feet mm-hmm. off of the wing, uh, next to next to the ridges as they were rising up, and that was very difficult for me to to get used to <laughs> that you could just get in that tight. Um, and it could John be okay. can kind of attest to that when um, we flew up to Sedona a little bit. I'll bet. Yeah, yeah, it was weird, very weird. <laughs> I've uh, it, it's 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 strange having uh, <clears throat> like land that's not just yeah. cumulus granite whizzing by at 120 knots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we don't have that here. Yeah, and it, it get, really gets you to the speed. That's the thing. It really gets you tied into how fast mm-hmm. the aircraft is going. Um, yeah. And we quickly climbed up into eight, nine thousand feet, and I it was still easy to get five hundred foot per minute climbs just by using the ridge lift. Yeah, you know we would just find the right spot and fly up, and uh, you know we're very careful of, with our ridge crossings and whatnot. But but it was really easy to find the ridge lift and climb in it way faster than I could ever get the Mooney to climb, especially with three people in it. Um, at that kind mm-hmm. of altitude. Yeah, for Normally. sure. Um, we flew across the Continental Divide and went to uh, our first runway, first airport that we reached was Granby, uh, Gulf November Bravo. It's at 8,200 feet uh, with a 5,000 foot runway. And that was kind of just a get used to takeoffs and landings at a much more serious altitude. Um, and it, it wasn't hard. It was just, you know, and we were going in and out in opposite directions, uh, like you do pretty often in the mountains. But it, but it was a pretty straightforward, uh, short field kind of approach and short field departure. Um, then, um, yeah, we we did some more flying. Flew up past uh, a VOR and an AWOS that was just kind of up on the top <laughs> of the mountain someplace. Uh, that was really cool to see just up on the peak of this ridge. Um, there's a little weather station and, you know, we're flying by at 50 feet away and um, just kind of <laughs> along. Um, my first ever VFR position report, never before ever had to <laughs> use anything like it because generally I'm, I'm, uh, oh. Flying oh, in radar okay. contact pretty much yeah. everywhere. That's a kind of a common thing out and here too. We have uh, we have um, different um, just uh, air to air frequencies practice areas that we uh, call out when we're out there. Yeah, none of that. I've never never experienced it before. I mean, it it wasn't a challenging thing to do at all. But I just have never been in a position where I've been out really that far outside of radar coverage or just someplace where I would want somebody to know where to start looking for me. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever been out of radar coverage ever. It's not hard to get out of it in like Minnesota, you know, it, if you're low, um, yeah. there are a lot of places where if you're below four or 5,000 feet, you're going to drop out and we lose radio coverage in a few spots, but mostly um, most of the places that I fly, I'm in, I'm in radar coverage the whole time. I was going to say, pretty much everywhere out here is just because of how dense it is. Yeah, we get the, we'll get the, you know, radar coverage lost or radar services terminated and bye bye. Yeah, we get that out here depending on what altitude you're at and 
when you're up north in the mountains. Um, so we were monitoring guard again, and we heard lots of airliners being asked by ATC to relay communications to other aircraft, um, you know, to find them or to get them to report in or to get them to close their IFR flight plan or whatever. Um, that it, it was a, that was another interesting thing that you don't encounter a lot in the flatlands. <laughs> um, but we got up, you know, well above the snow line. We spent a few minutes above twelve thousand five hundred. I don't think we ever got up above 13, um, but we stayed stayed above 12.5 for less than our 30 minutes and uh, came back down and uh, we were at about 9,000 probably for most of the trip. But our second stop was uh, McElroy uh, Airport, which is only 7,400 feet, um, except that the interesting bit about McElroy is that there is a mountain between you and the airport while you're oh. on base. <laughs> so you completely lose sight of the runway uh, and the entire airport while you're, while you're on base. Yeah. Cause that, cause that hills in front of you. It's just hmm. right. That hill is just off your right wing and there's just nothing you can do. Hmm. Um, so that was just kind of novel. And again, you're, you know, in one way and out the other way and that, and it, it was interesting. And then we went to Leadville, the um, highest airport, nine thousand nine hundred and thirty-four feet above go. sea level, with an eleven thousand foot traffic <laughs> pattern. Yeah, highest airport in the, in US. the highest paved airport in North the America, northern United States. You, you almost need oxygen to yeah. be able to land. <laughs> you, let me tell you, you need oxygen to yeah. be able to a land. A turbo, there. a turbo um, is kind of nice too. A sixty-four hundred foot runway. Uh, and didn't wow. use all of it, used probably 4,000 feet. Um, again, I'm used to 600. Uh, so we used, you know, more than 4, a mile 000. to land. Holy crap. And we probably touched down at a hundred miles no. an hour. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'd have to do the math to get the true airspeed out of it, but yeah. It's crazy. Um, so, nice things about Leadville. Uh, it's uh, beautiful views. Gas is cheap. <laughs> They're like, if um, you can get here, it was we got cheap gas. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it was cold. It was well below freezing um, when we were there, uh, and I was hypoxic as can be. Really? Absolutely. Um, I was just like, you know, he kept telling me to, to use my checklist, use your descent checklist, use this. And he was doing that to see if I could still do it. Uh huh. And, you know, I was amazed at how difficult it was to force my brain to do all of the steps on the checklist, even though a descent checklist in a, you know, in the Mooney is not particularly complicated. There's just a few steps, but it, it was like, holy cow, you know, remembering all of the things that you do after landing, you know, flaps up, boost pump off, ram, <laughs> uh, make sure ram air is closed, cowl flaps open, um, you know, trim to take off, you know, just all of the little things that you have to do to the plane after you're clear of the runway. It was hard to do it. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then we took off. We took on fuel, so we were near max gross weight. And we're taking off on the 6,400-foot runway at, you know, just shy of 10,000 feet. And uh, his, his pre-takeoff briefing was, um, don't panic. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't panic. And so you actually start the takeoff roll before you get on the runway. And, yes. you know, so you, you power up and you start your turn uh, onto the center line and you've, you're full throttle before you are even through the turn. You know, halfway <laughs> through the turn, the throttle's wide open. And, you know, I'm doing my normal routine that I've done probably literally a thousand times now of, you know, airspeed's alive, engine instruments are good. And I'm looking at the airspeed indicator and it's just not moving. Like, Let me ask you something before you go any further. Yeah. When you did your run up, mm-hmm. I'm going to assume you did a full power run up and trim to best power. Yes, we leaned, we did a full power run up. Um, and he did most of the work with the mixture control, but he was telling me okay. what he was doing and he actually had me do, I think I did the one at Leadville. So it was a full power run up and then we leaned out um, just a to couple best. twists on the vernier control. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just to get every ounce of performance as that we could. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what we do here. Yeah, and so we're on the roll... And the airspeed indicator goes up to about 40, and it just sits there, <laughs> you know, and a thousand feet of runway goes by. And normally I'm off the ground in a thousand feet, and it just kind of sits there. <laughs> and eventually it kind of slowly climbs up to 62, you pull the nose wheel off, and it kind of slowly goes up into the air, and I've got to fight to push it down to gain some airspeed. Um and yeah, it was well over 4,000 feet of our 6,400 feet were used to tip in the takeoff roll. And then we were just trying to build speed, you know, and there's a, it drops off at the end of the runway a couple hundred feet and there's power lines and a creek and some buildings and stuff down there. And you, you know, you really want to be above those. Some remains of some other previously crashed airplanes. No, he was describing a bunch of passes that had a lot of airplanes in them, though, um, <laughs> that you don't yeah. want to go in. Well, you know, the um, my very first flight after I got my license was to um, take my buddy Dean up to Flagstaff to pick up his airplane because the week before... We flew up there on a blood run, and he blew the tail the tail wheel. Right, I remember that. He, so I took him up there to pick up his plane, and I had my youngest daughter Madison with me. And uh, if you remember that story, I go to take off, and it's the same thing. I'm not building power, not building power, and I board to take off, and I go, "Oh yeah, let's do a full power run up and, and <laughs> adjust the mixture properly." So yeah. I, I learned that same lesson, but the hard way, because I didn't remember that first time. Yeah, I mean, it was really interesting. We were doing 130 knots indicated, uh, which evens out to almost 150 knots true at altitude, but um, we were only burning eight gallons an hour. <laughs> uh, that was pretty nice. That's all right, yeah. yeah. that was okay. You don't need much gas with that much oxygen. So... Uh, the rest of the flight, we flew uh, downhill most of the way back. We flew over a bunch of um, what they call parks and what I call wide open spaces in between the mountains. Um, 
South Park was one of them. <laughs> flew over uh, from the from the TV show. Yeah, and um, uh, it, yeah, and just flew downhill the whole way back and got on the ground and was still hypoxic as hell. Just really like lightheaded. It was hard to put luggage in the plane <laughs> afterwards. Um, I I do have to give them a shout out. They let us drive the the rental car all the way out to the aircraft that oh, was, cool. and just leave it. <laughs> like, okay, that was nice. Um, so yeah, that that got us. And then uh, after that, it was just we wanted to get out of Dodge um, just about as quickly as we could because um, it was it was about one o'clock, and at about two o'clock, the thunderstorms roll in, and so some lightning was just starting to show up on the storm scope uh, as we departed uh, and headed east. And that, and that really, we thought was the end of the the excitement, and it really was kind of the start. Um, the The next few hours were kind of boring, as we were up at eleven five VFR uh, over the top of the clouds, um, just flying over the gathering thunderstorms that were going to gathering clouds that were going to build into thunderstorms later in the day. And it was great that we were getting all that behind us, and. Um, had to scoot up just over 12.5 to clear some clouds and then started, um, I was working out my descent planning and it turns out my descent planning kind of stinks. Uh, and I always descend too early, no matter how often I do the math, I always just chicken out and start my descent too early or I descend a little bit too fast. So uh, we're descending into Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And um, as we're getting down to about Six seven thousand feet, we the little vibration starts kicking in, and figure out that it's the engine is running rough, and that's got my attention in kind of a big way. But luckily, we're over South Dakota, and so and it's early May, so there's a lot of places to land yeah. uh, if we need to. That's that's never a good sign, though. No, no, it was really not a good sign at all, um, and so. I made contact with Sioux Falls Approach from about 30 miles out. I, I decided not to bring it up because there wasn't anything going on at the airport. I think if the airport would have been busy, I would have declared an urgency and asked for priority clearance to land. Um, but I didn't need to, and so I, I didn't. I'm still thinking that decision over uh, as, I, as I review everything. Um, but got on the ground, still had a bit of a headache from the hypoxia and wasn't thinking as well as I think I probably should have been. Uh, and we grabbed a crew car, went off, um, and got a bite to eat and drank a bunch of fluids and just rested a little bit. And I came back to the airplane and I checked the oil right away. And, uh, it was about two quarts low. It was about three Mm. and three quarter quarts. And we like them to be about five and three quarters. And so I put some oil in and then I started pre-flighting the the aircraft and I get to the back and there's not under the tail, but a couple feet to the right of the tail is a bunch of, not a bunch, just a little oil spot. Couldn't tell if it was fresh, but it was there. And I kind of look underneath the plane and I can see where the two quarts of oil was. It was just all down the belly of the plane. I'm like, oh, no. 
Okay. That's, that's, that's scary after the fact. It's a little scary after the fact, but it made the decision about whether or not we needed to fly um, became real simple. It's like, oh, no, yeah. th- this plane isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so called back to the club and uh, somebody came down, uh, grabbed a plane, came down and picked us up. We were a good hour and a half out of Minneapolis and uh, uh, was our maintenance uh, the guy who acts as our maintenance manager. So he came down, took a look at the plane, um, and then we took off at about midnight to head back towards Minneapolis. And I actually did the takeoff, but by 12.30, I was gassed. I was like, no, I, I cannot keep my eyes open anymore. I need I need you to take the plane. <laughs> and yeah, so, That's a safe decision. Yeah, it, it, was a good, it was a good thing. I fell asleep for a few minutes on the way back. Um, and got home about one o'clock in the morning and was pretty wiped out. Um, several days later, they, well, two days later, they had the plane repaired. Um, they think it was a kink in the engine, uh, air oil separator, which we have now removed from all of our other aircraft, um, because they are more trouble than they're worth, in my humble opinion. Well, it totally separated the oil from the engine. It did, yeah. and that's, that, that's the third aircraft that it's done that to. Yeah. Uh, we had an arrow that had the engine destroyed, and they had to land in a field because the engine air oil separator breather tube froze shut, and it expelled all the oil out. And we had oh. a, an archer have basically the same problem. They had to land out uh, in Iowa because the air, engine air oil separator blew the air out. And so we have now removed them from all the planes except the Mooney, and I think the Mooney will just be next when it's in for annual. Oh. Um, so uh, the following Wednesday night, we uh, another guy, another club member and I uh, took a plane down to Sioux Falls to pick up the Mooney, uh, all repaired. It also had a uh, broken porcelain on one of the plugs. Which oh, may yeah? have been Crack. contributing. So we anyway we the plane was allegedly fixed and uh, Wednesday night after a very rainy Wednesday we departed and started heading back and I'm looking down at the field at the fields you know it, it the weather forecast was for solid VFR and so we're flying out and I'm looking down at the fields and they're just full of mud and puddles and I'm like okay if I have to land this thing out I'm keeping the gear up and you know, I'll, I'll just belly it in. And mm-hmm. we, um, we have a great, we flew IFR, filed IFR and flew under IFR, but it was VMC the whole way there. And it was beautiful weather by the time we got to uh, Sioux Falls. But the weather back home was low IFR. And we have no approaches that get us into Crystal when it's low IFR. But we're thinking, well, this is ground fog. Maybe it'll blow off. And Minneapolis and St. Paul are both still uh, marginal or better. And so we're like, well, okay, we can always go to St. Paul. And if we can't go to St. Paul, we can always go to Minneapolis, where the runways are so wide, we can practically land on them sideways. (laughs) Um, So uh, the guy who flew me down in one of the archers starts heading back, um, files... IFR and starts heading back and I file 
and do the same after a very careful pre-flight and run-up and with the engine monitor stuck on oil temperature and watching the pressure gauge and all of this kind of stuff because I'm just I'm just waiting for something to go wrong on this plane. Uh, and nothing did. Um, but unfortunately, the low IFR didn't improve, and Minneapolis and St. Paul went down to um, 200 foot horizontal visibility. Uh. So all the airliners were uh, that were on approach before it it went below minimums had to you know go around. You know, f- approach was busy. They're sending all these planes out to go set up for their Cat 2 and Cat 3 approaches. And uh, I I had to get in line just to tell ATC I wanted to divert. Uh, so I ended up putting into Glencoe, which was still VFR. And I could see... Um, it was weird. weird. I could see the buildings in downtown Minneapolis. I could see all the antennas. I just couldn't see the ground. Like the bottom 60 feet was where all the fog was. Everything else was just gorgeous. Huh. Um, so it was very surreal looking. Um, any case, and anyway, I put in at about midnight. Took We took the crew car home. The other guy, other pilot in the other aircraft did the same thing. Uh, so we grabbed the crew car, drove it home um, for the night. I He dropped me off, went home, picked me up in the morning. We drove back out to Glencoe, got in their planes, and made a very easy flight back home. Um, so it was over 13 hours of, of flying time oh. on this trip, between the trip out, the mountain flying, and the trips back. Um, but, huh. uh, but it was a great experience. Uh, learned a lot. Uh, I learned that mountains are mountain flying is just a wonderful, amazing, beautiful experience and can be really dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, glad you made it back safe and made good decisions along the way, for sure. Yeah, I, you know, the, the biggest lesson I took away, and thank you, um, the biggest lesson I took away was that the decision to fly is pretty easy. It's the decision to not fly or to not fly anymore that's the hard one. You know, yeah. it was it was getting to the point where we really believe that nope, there's no way I'm getting into crystal. Like I could get down to 60 feet above the ground, VMC the whole way, and I just can't land there. You know, and that was a difficult decision to go through at you know, 12 o'clock in the morning when you've got to go to work the next day and you're like, "Oh, you know, is there even yeah. going to be a car down there? Is there, you know, what is my you know, you're, you're just kind of going through, am I going to be sleeping on a bench in the airport? <laughs> you know, you don't know any of that stuff. And it's, it's hard to get to that decision to, to, to pull the plug. Um, but it became obvious when I'm listening to the airliners saying, you know, no, I've, I've got to go reconfigure for a cat three approach. Like, <laughs> okay. I guess this is for real. Um, that whole, I am safe checklist that you know that the FAA tells you about is it's a real thing you know the fatigue oh yeah hypoxia stress um, it all leads to challenges to your decision making process and you know the emotions of flying are really what make this a fun thing to do but they're also what can make it really dangerous um, and so being able to just say you know what I I don't need to get there. 
I, I might not make it today, but I'm going to make the safe choice and, and just put the plane on the ground uh, somewhere that I know I can land it. Oh, yeah. Um, that It was a lot of good experiences like that. Um, I, uh, I was thinking about one time they have uh, a hypoxia chamber here that you can sign up and, and do. Yeah, I would love to do one of those. Just to see how pretty, stupid you really can get. <laughs> it's pretty expensive, but I think it would probably be money well spent in the end. Obviously, it's one of those things they get you up to altitude and have you take off your mask, and and then they have you do some simple tasks. I don't know, some simple math or I don't know what. But I, I've seen <laughs> the videos, yeah, and it's like yeah. just hold your hands up, you know, just <laughs> just wave watch your hands. you fail all over the place. Yeah, or or deal a deck of cards, you know. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's interesting just how poorly your brain functions. And I, I was amazed at how impaired I was at 10,000 feet. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't to the point where I couldn't function, obviously I could still fly the airplane, but my decision-making was certainly affected. Um, and that, that was surprising. I, I would, if I was going to fly in the mountains, the, the next time I fly in the mountains, I'll put it that way, I will use oxygen. Uh, just because it just makes it simpler. You know, mm -hmm. you, get, you get a lot more IQ points back. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So coming up next, uh, Friday night, hopefully, I am flying down to Arkansas uh, for my mom's 80th birthday. Uh, I say hopefully because it's thunderstorms and yucky weather all week, and so I might be might be delaying until Saturday, or I might uh, just have to fly longer than I hoped. But the arrow, I've got the arrow. I was supposed to take the six with with filling all of the seats, but it's not going to be around. So I am uh, flying the arrow between thunderstorms and uh, getting there when I get there. That's that's it for me. Cool. Well, we've ran a uh, ran just a little bit more than an hour anyway, so uh, probably cut it off for uh, episode sixty-one. What do you say? I, I think so. I, I would just add that I tweeted out while we were recording, asking <laughs> for suggestions for uh, the, to name baby Conway. Yeah. Um, and we got back Orville because there <laughs> okay. aren't enough Orvilles today. Yeah. Um, Dakota, okay. Porter, um, Wright, Curtis, and I threw out um, Douglas, Merlin, Taylor, Piper. All fine choices. So keep you know, them coming. Or, or Kit Fox, if you want to go. <laughs> His first name's Kit, middle name Fox. Yeah. Kit Fox Conway. That's a badass name. That is a badass so. name right there. Uh, that's KFC. <laughs> I didn't think of it. All right. I think we, I think we have right. a winner. Uh, that's great. You can you can you can tell uh, tell the misses you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> you will see how that one goes over. <clears throat> Anybody have shoutouts? I got nothing. Um, I'll just give a quick shout out to uh, my buddy John Smith who went on the flight with me um, uh, on Sunday. That was a lot of fun and I look forward to uh, 
going up in the Remos with him and seeing what uh, this light sport flying is all about. In fact, um, just on a side note, I do plan on getting checked out in that same Remos over at Scottsdale and putting my time in so I can get uh, um, certified to teach light sport. Ooh, you're going to so, CFI it. Nice. Might as well. You know, I'm already doing the, I'm, I'm about halfway through the FOI. Um, speaking of that, uh, shout out to uh, Nate, because didn't Nate just pass that? I think, Nate uh, yeah, I th- he's working on a bunch of uh, ratings. Yeah, I think he just passed passed the FOI, and that's the, uh, the FOI uh, is the... Um, um, Fundamentals of instruction. You, you should yeah. probably know that for the test. Yeah, fundamentals is the word I was looking for. Yeah, fundamentals of instruction, of instructing. And I tell you, it's the worst. I, it's just, it's no fun. Um, it, it's not fun to read. It's not fun to memorize. Um, I should just, like, cram for a couple, you know, for a week and just get it done and quit agonizing myself over going, oh, i got to read this stupid thing a little bit more. It, it was one of those tests that used to be you could spend 20 minutes looking at the literature on it and go take it and, and get like an 80 or 90% because I guess it was just pretty much common sense. And then they put a whole lot of, um, of uh, psychology behind it and uh, use some terminology that's just not uh, normal uh, that, we, that we use. And uh, it's made it a whole lot harder to take. Uh, the rest of it's fine, but the rest of, uh, of course, you're... Uh, ground instructing or whatever you're going after, and that's what I was going after in, in the beginning is fine, but that part of it is just, ugh, it doesn't suit me well. So anyways, a uh, shout out to Nate for passing that and uh, any other um, any other uh, uh, tickets he's going after at this time, and uh, shout out to uh, John for being my passenger, and I look forward to uh, being his. I had uh, a few. I had a shout out to uh, Jer Eberhard, uh, the mountain flying instructor I worked with. Um, uh, great guy, and recommend him highly. He actually does a four-day mountain flying course that looks like it would be a hoot. Um, I, you know, after four hours in the plane, I don't feel like I'm really qualified to uh, to go flying on my own in the mountains at this point. But I think um, with enough additional training, I would I would feel fine with it. Uh, also, shout out to Craig Schmidt, who came down and rescued us out of Sioux Falls when the Mooney was busted, and to Jeff Wabick for flying me back to pick up the Mooney to, to bring it back home. Uh, to Signature out in Metro, uh, Bravo Juliet Charlie, um, they were just really easy to work with and not horribly expensive like uh, I have seen at some other fields. Uh, and, uh, you know, just kind people and, like I said, easy to work with and let us drive out onto the tarmac and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, Maverick in Sioux Falls, um, which did a great job of taking care of us, getting the Mooney fixed and letting us hang out in their airport. Um, They're one of the few FBOs that I've encountered that is open 24 hours a day. And when you are trapped someplace waiting for somebody to pick you up at midnight, that is a really, really nice thing. <laughs> you could go in the pilot's lounge, use their Wi-Fi, and watch Game of Thrones or whatever. So um, that is it for me. All right. So we'll go ahead and wrap this up and uh, let everybody know where they can find us online and put this thing to bed. So, Chris, how about you? 
Sure, you can uh, shoot me an email at chris at inthepatternpodcast.com. Uh, you can usually find me on the Twitter machine at cholubaz uh, or on our uh, Facebook channel, the uh, In the Pattern Podcast there either also. And Brad. You can reach me via email at brad at inthepatternpodcast.com. You can find me at Twitter at Brad Kane. Uh, I'm also on the Facebook and other sundry places. Once again, Kane is spelled Kilo Oscar Echo Hotel November, just like it sounds. And for me, you can find me at John at inthepatternpodcast.com, on Twitter at Pilot Conway, and just about anywhere else on the internet. And for the entire podcast, you can reach all of us at podcast at inthepatternpodcast.com. We're on Twitter as In The Pattern, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash inthepatternpodcast. Show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found on our website, inthepatternpodcast.com. And please go ahead and send us any suggestions, comments, critiques. We'd love to get feedback from all our listeners. And if you get a chance, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. That'd be a great help. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode 61 of the In the Pattern podcast. We'd like to thank you all for listening. And remember, make left traffic. You're cleared for the option. Mic drop.